0: The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. So, if you have your Bible, you can open to Philippians chapter one. Already there, and we'll read the first eleven verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Fill with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text and the rich promises that it contains, the, the love of Paul that he has for the church at Philippi, Lord, and as we read through it and study these things, we pray that you're able to bless your people, that you can help me to be able to demonstrate Christ in a more wonderful and glorious way than we, we came here with, and that He would be more valuable and more precious um this day, Lord, and that these things might be treasured long in our hearts for for many years, or for those who are very familiar with these verses, they might dust them off and see them afresh and see them as beautiful, that they would just treasure them, Lord. So be with us now. Amen. Amen. So the letter of the Philippians. So most people talk about how it's a letter of joy. As Paul talks about joy, uh, probably one of the top words he uses besides you know Christ or God or and some things like that. So and it's really fascinating you think about Paul writing about joy. Yeah. Uh, joy when he himself is, there we go, is in prison, and you think about that. We think, okay, yeah, of course Paul's in prison, but we don't actually think about what that would have been like in the early church where you're in prison, and unless somebody comes and helps you, you're you're gonna die. You don't they don't come give you, you know, three square meals and you get to watch television and all sorts of things. But it's it's a place of suffering. And so despite the fact that Paul is himself suffering in, in prison, he, he doesn't really you know hone into that fact. He alludes to it and talks about it and talks about suffering, but it's not like a long drawn out I'm in prison, this is just so bad. Please do whatever you can. I'm miserable, I'm suffering. Someone please help me. But he's much more focused on the Philippians. And later, you know, he talks about their joy, wanting to make sure that it's complete and focusing on that. So I think considering Paul's situation, even as we're looking at this, is helpful to consider what's going on. And when we think about confidence, we think about all the different things that we can't have confidence in in the world, that it's. It's, it's helpful to think about. This world is not a very certain place. And as we've seen over the last you know, several years, it's becoming more and more uncertain where the ways of man are, are showing themselves more and more unstable. The further we get from God, the more unstable it is. So having confidence in God, having confidence in his word is something we want to cultivate as we look through this, particularly in God's securing of us, God's work in us to work out the salvation that he's already working in us. And something to consider is confidence isn't an issue when Christianity is easy, right? If Christianity was a downhill walk, it wouldn't be very hard, right? But that's not how things often go. Sometimes there are downhills, but often there's uphills. Sometimes you have to crawl up rocks. Sometimes you fall down, you get hurt. You're bleeding and you're hurting and you're, what what do I do? This isn't easy. I wanted an easier walk, we might say to ourselves. But that's not why... It's what Christianity is. It's not a simple walk in the park as it says later in verse 29 of the same chapter. For you it has been granted for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe, but also suffer for his sake. So our need for confidence isn't a problem when it's easy. Our need for confidence is when things are difficult, when things are hard, when temptations flare at us, when it seems like our flesh wants to yield into temptation. That's when we need confidence in in the gospel. That's when we need confidence in God's work in us to change us, to sanctify us, to be more like Christ. And so as we we get going, we're going to read a few introductory statements of Paul. But we're really going to focus our time on verse 6. And so Paul, as he kind of introduces himself and Timothy and the the church at Philippi, he goes on in verse 3 to say, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always offering my prayer with joy in every prayer for you all and your view of the participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul, again, he just he's exuberant in his love for the, the Philippians. He considers their participation in the gospel that they were helping him. later we find out in chapter 4, they were, they were, Paul was receiving money from him. And Paul is thankful every time he remembers them in their, their prayers. A good quote from Matthew Henry says, The best remembrance of our friends is to remember them at the throne of grace. Paul was much in prayer for these friends, for all his friends and these in particular. So Paul loves these people so much, he's praying for them constantly. He thinks about them, he's thankful, and he's so thankful he can't help but pray for them. It's like this cycle of love that he has for this church. And so as he's thinking about them, he wants them to be joyful, and he likewise wants them to be confident of God's work in them so then it goes on in verse 5 and says or sorry 6 I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ and so that's our, our text we're going to slow down quite a bit and so looking at the phrase began a good work so that phrase began is used twice in the New Testament in each case it's referring to salvation so Well, the kind of the question you have to ask, well, what is the good work? Some people say, well, the good work was merely that the Philippians gave money and God is continuing to to do that work. The the problem with that, though, is, of course, that the the work is in the Philippians. God began the good work and he's continuing to talk about them and God's work in them. So God is talking not merely just a a simple sanctification, but he's talking about conversion or, or regeneration. And so that's the good work that God did. And so kind of well what what is regeneration it's a supernatural work of god where he raises a dead sinner's soul to life gives him a new nature and causes him to walk in the the statutes and commandments of god there was a confession it said it really eloquently so i thought well i'm gonna steal that for of our nature we are so dead so blind so perverse that neither can we feel when we are pricked see the light when it shines nor assent to the will of god when it is revealed Unless the spirit of the Lord Jesus quickens that which is dead, remove the darkness from our minds and bow our stubborn hearts to the obedience of his blessed will. So conversion, you might look at it from another passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So regeneration is this thing where God takes a dead sinner. All he does, he loves sin. He cannot help but sin. That is his nature to continue to do that. So God takes that individual, breathes into them a new life, and they are that moment a new creature. They don't have the same old strong desires to follow the, the ways of the world, to give into their flesh, but they now love to obey God from a pure heart. Where before they're dead, and that's all they can but do is sin, Now that the person who's born again, they love to obey God. It's no longer I I need to go to church. I need to do all these things. It's now doing the things from a pure heart. And so a a good example, you might think of this is if I had a goat, my daughter loves goats. And someday she might try to teach the goat to read. And so if you were to sit the goat down and put out a book, this is the letter A. What do you suppose would happen? What do you think the goat might say? Oh, that's the letter A. No, the goat would start to eat the letter A. And so letter B, start to eat the letter B. Why is the goat doing that? Because it's a goat and goats love to eat things. And that's that's all it's going to do. But if it, in a moment I was able to transform that goat into a, a human, a man, I would have a much greater chance of success of teaching that individual to read. And that's true of us. It, when we're dead in our sins, we, there's some things we cannot do because of our, our sin nature is held fast in, in chains. We, we can't escape the corruption of our, our sinful heart to, to love and praise God. And so that's what someone would do if you know they had a new heart. And so that's why I think one of the things about the testimonies is so encouraging is you're hearing these stories from people when they're dead in their sins and then they're they're changed when they're when they're born again. You're hearing the testimony of God in their life. You're hearing about someone who's dead in sin and God boom. They're regenerating their life is now totally different and uh and sometimes the stories are fascinating you're hearing somebody to share a story and you're like that doesn't even sound like you what, what do you mean you used to do that I thought you were a nice cute innocent person and but you had this whole sinister life of sin but that's what God does this good work that God does it changes somebody from the inside out where yes they are a totally different person we have a, a good dear friend and um he was a number of things wrong with his life let's just say and so uh he worked at a company and a uh another person says oh there's another christian i want to meet this christian and so they uh they got to together for lunch and he, he saw he actually couldn't find him it took him several minutes to find him until my friend finally called out and says hey i'm over here and he says i i didn't recognize you you look like such a different person from the you before because his whole countenance had just changed because god had changed him it was once wild and crazy is now a calm you know, a gentle demeanor, and it's that's what's the, the good work that God does in conversion. And one of the worst things that might happen to a believer is you forget about that work of God in your life. You somehow think, no, no, I, I've moved past that now. I'm now at a certain place where, you know, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I've I've you know I've matured in my faith. I'm growing in all in all sorts of things. But that's that's a dangerous place to be. If you forget what God has done to you, you might forget what God has continuing to do and you might okay i don't i don't need to do this I'm, I'm mature i'm it's it's pride is what's happening we have to remember the good work that god has done in us and this promise that god will continue that good work that he's done in us is for is for believers and so there are people so just because you've prayed a prayer doesn't mean that you're born again just because you go to church doesn't mean you're born again just because you do good things doesn't mean you're born again. I talk to a number of people and they, they start to profess, you know, I say, why are you going to go to heaven? And they're always, oh, I do X, Y, and Z. And here's all the, the reasons that, that I ought to be born again. They're, they're professing their self-righteousness as the means by which they think God will accept them. That's, that's not going to get somebody saved. If you, you, might, you might imagine a conversation in hell. Let's say there are, I don't know if there's going to be conversations in hell, but if there were, we might have one that goes like this. You have someone come and says, well, what are you in for? Oh, I I suppose I am the worst sort of person to to be here. Worst sort? Are you friends with Hitler? Did you kill, pillage, murder? Why are you here? Oh, no, nothing like that. No? Well, well, do tell me what's worse. Well, I I went to church. I I prayed. I even read and memorized scripture and the Bible and served and did all sorts of things. Well, why are you here? You sound as if you you were a Christian. No, that's just it. I, I had a form of godliness, but I denied its power. I thought I had enough religion in me to get me into heaven, but I had not any of Christ in me to get the hell out of me. Why, I went far close to the doors of heaven, but never entered myself. I see. You knew the way of eternal life, and you did not enter in. You are a miserable one. Why, not only must you deal with the torment of this fire, but alas, you shall have the nagging thoughts that you had the medicine of eternal life within your hands. Why, near up to your mouth, and you refused." So I think it's very important for people to understand that this promise that God is going to continue to work in you is not for someone who has not been born again. The worst thing that can happen is to have false assurance to somebody who has not changed. And I pray that that's not any case with anybody here who thinks that, no, I'm born again when you're you're truly lost. One of the greatest evidences of people that is born again is there, there is a true hatred of sin and a true love for God. And so, as we go on, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work. It's important to note who is the one who's doing the good work. It is God who's doing this work. He didn't say the good work you have started. He didn't say the good work which, you know, you got together and you decided you were going to do. It was, no, this is a work of God. He didn't look and likewise, it wasn't God looked and says, you know, the Philippians, they're really coming along. They finally have donated. They've got their things together. It's no, it's, this is God's work that he started on his own initiative, like we read in the kind of the birthing of a church in Philippi was Lydia's heart was opened by God. And we're familiar with the passage in John 3, "Do not be amazed. I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You can hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and uh, where it is and where it is going. So it is everyone who's born of the Spirit. You had just as much effect over your spiritual birth as you did your physical. You have as much uh, effect over your being born again as you do the wind. It's a sovereign act of God. God works in us to cause us to be born again. And so why is it important that we understand that it's God's work? If it's your own project, well, then it's up to you. And you guys could probably look at your yard, your house, or all around you and look at all the unfinished projects that you have in your life and realize You know, I'm not really good at, I might, you might get some things done, but we tend to leave a lot of things undone. And that's because we don't have the resources or the money, the time to get things done. But that's not God's case at all, is it? It's not as though God is unpowerful enough to accomplish your salvation, as though he didn't have enough time, enough wisdom to see the project through. But God is working and he will finish the salvation that he has has started. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says, I am God, there is no other, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. So here's God looking at you and your salvation, not just as an afterthought or, oh, yeah, let's include him as well. It's no from eternity past. God has decided I am going to save this individual And declaring that plan. Then Jesus Christ enters into the scene and says, I am going to die to save that individual. Then the spirit comes, causes new birth to to regenerate you and make you born again. And it's not as though like, okay, I think we're just going to, that was pretty good. You know, let's let's take five and let's just kind of see how things pan out. It's no, God has started the work from eternity past and he will see to it to the eternity end that you will arrive into heaven because God has said he will do it. He will surely accomplish it. And to borrow, you know, we could use the Jesus talking about, you know, don't, don't commit to Christianity half-hearted, and he uses this analogy. We could borrow that and say uh, out of Luke 14, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough completed? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all will observe it and begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build but was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in the battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against them with 20,000? So if we look look at the foolishness of man and the things they left undone and find fault with him, how much greater problem do you suppose it creates for God when with all wisdom, power, and knowledge he begins a project only to lay it aside? So that's not something God is going to do. He's not going to work all this energy in a particular direction on you in your life and say, you know, this is just getting too hard. This individual is too stubborn, too much sin. They keep failing. I'm I'm done. I'm I'm giving up. God has started the project of salvation in you and he will bring it to completion. So I thought it might be helpful to to consider why might this scripture seem untrue? What, What about maybe some different things could pop into our mind? And so the the first one that comes to mind is the world, the flesh, and the devil. You think about the world, you know, the world system, and just think of it like a, a giant sewer where all the corruption and sin is just going down into this, this big stream and is just pulling everything along. And that's just kind of what the world does. It just drags everything along in a perverse and disgusting direction. And so we're like Christians. We have to fight against that stream of what everybody's doing and pulling. And you think about today's day and age, and it's, it's a constant bombardment. It's not like we're living out here in you know the 1800s and we'll get word every month about what's going on in the rest of the world. But no, it's you open your phone and you get this and you hear that and it's just, it's a constant barrage of iniquity that the world is just continuing to pull at us. And so he who began a good work in you will complete it despite what the world pulls against you. Or you might consider the flesh or indwelling sin. Just because we have the presence of sin in our life, does not mean that we're not saved, but the evidence that we're working out the salvation that God is working in us is, is an evidence of our salvation. So we, we might consider an analogy of um, a slave. Let's say you know, we have the Emancipation Proclamation and the slave is now free. And let's just say, you know I want to go back and work for my master. Like well, why, why would you do that? You, you've been set free. And it's, it's understanding our new nature that we've been set free from sin, that is reminding us that we don't, we don't have to serve that master anymore. No, you've been set free. You don't need to go work for that, that individual you had to be a slave for for all these years. You have been set free in Christ, and you don't have to do that anymore. We have our, you know, the two natures in us. We have one born of Adam and one born of Christ. And so Spurgeon talked about how much harder that might be when you consider you have a walled city, you can think of the Alamo, and they're, they're being attacked from the outside, you know, with uh, ridiculous odds against them. But now think about someone if there was somebody, you know, who was a, a turncoat if you will inside the building, opening the back door and letting people in. Well, that's like our our sin nature. Not only are we being attacked from the outside, we're also being attacked from the inside with our flesh. We we're not tempted unless there's something about it that we that we like or we enjoy. And so that's our our duty is to wrestle against our sin and to fight against it and not to easily give up. And we think about Okay, there, there's a particular temptation. Does this mean that, that God has abandoned me? Does this mean that I'm to give up? That I'm I'm no longer, that God is no longer with me? It's no. Work out the salvation that God is working in you, and be be sure of this: that He who began a good work in you will complete it the day of Christ. And um, we also consider the devil. The devil devil is the father of lies, and that's that's his native language, right? His, his lies. And again, you look at the world and just how prevalent lies are and the temptation and how you 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 know hear the phrase, if you repeat a lie often enough, it, it becomes true. And we have to consider that of our, our weakness, of our nature. We might start to believe some of those lies. But remember, it's he who began a good work and you will complete it. These things are not enough to, to topple us over and to make us um, weak, uh, which... Uh, next point if you just have to see this passage i want you to go to uh second corinthians um chapter 12 and why do that is this is just weakness we have to understand that we need we need grace we need we need power that sometimes what happens to us is we think that we're sufficient and we're we're good enough on our own or we just need a little bit but by and large we're, we're doing pretty good um Borrowing an analogy from uh, the Old Testament is, you know, when Elisha is talking to the widow. The widow says, "You know, please help me. I, I don't have anything." And he says, "Well, what do you have? Well, I got a little bit of oil. Okay, go to all your neighbors, get all the jars you can, and fill it up all the jars up with oil." So at that moment, all of these empty jars, you could say, were just were just empty. There was nothing in them. There's no reason you would consider all these empty jars useful because there's nothing in them. If anything, you would look at the situation and say, "This poor lady, she has nothing." But as she begins to fill up these empty jars, these things that were once maybe despised become useful. And you, I always kind of wonder, like, after she was done, do you think she thought to herself, I should have got more jars. Like, not not realizing what, what God was doing, almost kind of doubting God. And so we often hide our weaknesses, assuming that, oh, no, these weaknesses are, are things I need to, to put under the table. They're not useful, and I'm not going to let God know about them, and I'm just going to pretend to act strong. So 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, and he has said to me my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness most gladly then i will boast about my weaknesses so that the power of christ may dwell in me so you consider about that that this amazing promise we we think about our weaknesses are something that that causes us to crumple up like a you know a piece of foil but that's not so. It's the weakness like those empty jars. We ought to go to God and say, Lord, fill me. I'm weak here. Lord, fill me. I'm weak here. Lord, I can't do this. I need your help. Lord, I need your grace. Our weaknesses ought to be reminders that we are weak people who need to be filled with God. So it's in our weakness. These ought to be provoking thoughts. Lord, you know, help me. I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm someone who's, who's frail, who's weak. I sin all the time. I have all these different issues. Lord, please help me. And he says, you "Know my grace is sufficient for you. My my power is made perfect. And you consider that that you it's like your weakness is what draws the grace to, to work. So it may maybe a couple of examples. It's oftentimes you know we think confessing sin. Well, I'm I'm not going to do that. I don't I don't want you know people to to know um, what, what's going on. A good example from uh, Josh Pina last night. I was I was thinking about it in bed as I was praying where he talked about you know the cat in the cradle. Like that was my life." And Josh came out with a weakness of his, and like that—that was—that was powerful, right? Because not because of the weakness, but because of, you know, the, the grace. So I look at my own life, and what ways am I doing that? What ways am I sinning? Because we often think about, you know, weakness is something to shove away and not to be used. But you no, know, those are the things that God uses. You think about even the gospel; God doesn't save righteous. You know, upright people. It's the people who recognize that they need a savior, that they're weak, that they're broken, and so we go to Him, crying out to God in prayer, asking for grace, and that's the moment where God meets us in our deepest need. So though you are weak, He is strong, and remember that He who began a good work in you will complete it, and don't doubt that God will continue um, His work of salvation in your life. So again, if it's if it's your own project you have, you know, great reason to be, to be scared. So we, we, what happens is we often insert ourselves into the situation and think, you know, my my salvation is something I'm going to work on. I'm going to keep doing. So we might consider a situation. Maybe a father says, I'm going to take you on an all expenses, you know, paid, paid trip, son. And says, oh, that sounds great, dad. So the son wanders off and then, you know, about an hour later he comes and he's he's just crying. And he says, I I just don't have the money, dad. I, I can't go. I'm just so sad that I can't go on this trip. Like I said, it was all, all expenses. Why are you then, then troubled about, you know, money? I said I was going to cover everything. Sometimes we can do that with our life. We can look at a weakness or I, I'm not worthy of this promise. I'm not worthy that God would write this in a book that says he who began a good work and you will complete it. If, if I would done it the way I think I well, would structure things, I would probably condemn my own self, but that's not God's nature. We have to recognize we're, we don't deserve the grace that God gives us. We will never deserve the God, grace God gives us. It's, we're supposed to enjoy it like we, we on a cold day, you sit out in the sun and just bask in its warmth and it's its the light. We ought to be doing that with God's grace. We ought to be warming ourselves by God's love. We don't just you know, sit and hide and I'm just going to be cold and it's so, so shivering. It's you no know, going to God, being warmed by His love and His grace for us. And even in light of different things that have been going, I know there's many people that are weary and heavy burdened with many things, and oftentimes we feel like we're pushed to the point of breaking, where there's a difficulty here, a difficulty over there. But the clouds of suffering don't block, you know, they they can't block a a clear view of of Christ. I got to goof that analogy up. Let me try it again. The clouds of suffering might block a clear view of Christ, but they won't block His promises. Even if you can't see him, you still know that he's there. Even in the the midst of pain and agony and any number of things, we need to remember the big picture that he who began a good work in you will complete it. This is part of your sanctification. This is what God is doing to you to get you to heaven. Although it might hurt and it's sometimes extreme pain, this is what God is working in you to change you, to make you more like Christ. Don't, don't curse God in the times of agony. Don't curse God or be tempted to in the, the times of suffering because that's how God is changing us. God's love is not diminished. That's the times he wants to, again, pour his love out on us when we're the weakest. So he who began a good work will complete it. And so the Greek, uh, it can also be used for the, uh, for the word perfect or it's like a, a terminus or further fulfill. So you think of a bus depot. You know, the very last end is the, the terminus, the, the terminal, the way. The way to get off. Uh, so again, you might have a builder who takes a a burn building and he's going to recreate it into a, it's restored state. So, and for us, it's going to be until the day of Jesus Christ, when he comes back at that moment, we, we will be changed into a perfect, we won't have our sin nature anymore. So from, from that eternity past and through this life where we have the most struggle He's going to continue to push us on through trial and struggle and temptation and everything that we have. And one day we'll, we'll meet Christ in the air and all of our, our sin nature and everything will be gone and done away with and we won't have those those worries about falling into temptation. We won't have those anxieties. Well, does God really love me and care for me? That that day, can you think about that glorious day when you'll be able to stand before God face to face and you'll have no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more dying? dying that's where god is taking us in this great salvation that he is doing and isn't it just an amazing statement that that paul doesn't even know the future he's looking at the future for the philippians and even himself and it doesn't look promising in fact he's we know he doesn't have a a happy ending if you will on earth but we know he has a happy ending in heaven and so paul is saying he's confident that he'll begin a good work you know the philippians will bring it to completion He, he doesn't know their future but he's still confident because he knows god's character he knows what god is going to do so calvin says this is let therefore believers exercise themselves in constant meditation upon the favors which god confers that they may encourage and confirm hope to the time to come and as always ponder in the mind the syllogism god does not forsake the work which His hands have begun so in other words calvin can be a little meaty sometimes but it's meditating on all of the grace that God has done in your life. Almost like you you know, thumbing through an index card of, this is what God has done in my life. This, this is the promise of Scripture. All, the, all these glorious truths we have to recall to mind that we have to lift our hearts out of the despair that can encase us and entomb us. We have to be reminded afresh of God's love for us and what He has done for Christ, that all of our sins, past, present, and future were laid on Christ and that we no longer have to give an account for them, but they are done away with. And we consider that he is continuing to help us through our trials and our struggles. And that he unconditionally loves us. And you think about, you know, the son of God coming and dying into, in the world and dying on our behalf when we have done nothing. You, I mean, we could go on about all the, the promises that God has given us and how it she just caused us to be uh, filled with joy. Uh, there's just a a great puritan quote i just have to read it It says alas we are unworthy of these promises so laden with sin and iniquity and it's like you think about all these good things but we're just so undeserving of it you just need to consider that i mean consider yourself you know a poor person and someone just comes up to you and says i'm going to give you my mansion and uh, all the money or or, you know it's, it's not even a good analogy because what god has done is just so much greater for us that we're we're his enemies and he has given us everything. And this ought to just fill our hearts with joy, but don't let you know, your flesh or temptations or circumstances still steal your joy from the fact that he is going to continue to work you through all difficulties and all trials. So then um, he kind of goes on it says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all for I hold, excuse me, uh, verse 7. Because <clears throat> I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, and defence, and confirmation of the gospel. So he just goes on and talks about how they're they're partakers of grace. He knows this to be true because he's seen the the work of God in his life, the grace in his life, and he's considering their work with the imprisonment that that Paul is in. And uh, he goes on and talks about how he wants them to grow in their knowledge of things that are excellent. And, and, and that's, that's kind of basically sanctification 101 is you grow in your knowledge of what's good. And the knowledge makes its way down to your heart and then from your heart to your fingers, if you will. So that's, that's his desire. And so kind of wrapping things to a uh, conclusion is we need to have confidence with God's continuing work in us. Although one day we are now we have struggles with Sunday one day they will be put away with we might just be discouraged our problems, but we can be joyful of the future perfection that awaits us. When you consider that one day that you'll be totally free from all of the sins that now plague you all the temptations that you face will one day be totally gone. You won't have to deal with that anymore. You won't deal with struggle with anger. You may not deal with lust. You may not deal with lying. You may not deal with all these different things. One day that'll be totally gone. God is continuing to work with you. These things, these sins aren't so heavy that they'll grab you and pull you all the way down to hell. No, God is stronger and mightier still to take you all the way from where you are into heaven. And then assurance of this leads to diligence. So you consider if you knew you were going to succeed at a certain thing, it would make you all the more confident that you would do it. If you were promised you're going to start a business and you will absolutely succeed. You wouldn't say, okay, well, I'll get started next month. And then, well, okay, it's it's going to work out. So, no, you'd be like, really? It's, it's going to succeed? It would cause you to be all the more diligent. When you face problems, this is going to work out. I don't need to be afraid of this. Okay, another problem. This is going to work out. I know I'm, I'm going to succeed at this. You are going to succeed at your salvation, not because of yourself, but because of God. Have confidence in God's work in you. I lost my notes. There we are. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Paul's confidence didn't lead to a short letter. It wasn't like, hey, I'm confident, and that's the end. But he goes on to continue with with exhortations and tries to stir up their love and uh, kind of provoke them. So, again, just consider then God's work in you. He has started it from eternity past. He has brought Christ into the world to die for your sins and has brought the Spirit to regenerate you. He's not going to simply give up. He's going to continue the work. And so whatever comes, whatever temptation may fa- avail you, whatever it may be, you just, we get We get so lost in the weeds, we forget about what the big picture about what God's doing. So be reminded, be kindled afresh of God's love for you with this promise, and then go out and to do good works to, to glorify God. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful for your work in us and pray that you continue just to cause great joy for your people Um for what you've you've done in christ and what you will continue to do uh, we're thankful just for this rich truth and uh call pray that it causes great um diligence uh knowing your glory amen